Morning, y'all. Um, <clears throat> man cold. You know, if you've never had a man cold, <laughs> you're lucky. Count yourself blessed. Um, did y'all notice the decorations in the lobby? Doesn't it look cool in here? <laughs> Looks nice, doesn't it? I did all that. By myself, my idea, implemented it all. Uh, the theme is Welcome Home for Christmas. And I don't, like, I don't know what you think of when you think of home, but when I think of home, I think of a place where um, there was unity, even in the midst of some disagreements around the table, right? Because uh, my family's not always right when I'm arguing with them. And so, you know, it's, uh, you know we, but we loved each other. And home was a place where, where, it's still a place where I'm safe. Home was a place where I didn't have to put on an act or a show. I just, you, just, you were allowed to be. Home was a place where you could run when you were scared. Home was a place you'd go to rest when you were tired. Home was a place that you were empowered. Home was a place where, where you grew. Home was a place where you were changed. Home was a place where you were nurtured to become the person you were designed to be. At least that was home for me. And I recognize that for many of you in this room, that was not your home. And so as we go through this welcome home, come home for Christmas thing, there's going to be times you're like, man, that was not my home. And I get that. And so here's the opportunity you have. If that was not your home, we have the chance to create that place as a home for someone else. If that wasn't what you grew up experiencing, you can change it this year in this place by creating a home here that is everything I just said. A place where we're united, even with some differences. A place where, where the blood is, is thicker than the water. A place where we love each other unconditionally. A place where we tell each other the truth. A place where you can run and hide. A place where you can stand and fight. We can make this house our home. And so this Christmas, we're coming home. And, and I think it's such an appropriate theme for year of the Bible because we're going to finish the Bible. And in the story of the Bible, the story of this book, is God's story of calling his people home. What I'm about to give you in about three minutes is the entire summary of everything we've read in the Bible so far. So if you didn't read anything, get ready. Make some notes. It all started... When God loved us so much that he created us so that we could worship him. And he gave us a home, a perfect place called Eden. And we were created in his image to be the image bearers of God, right? And we had a home, we were with God, and we were his people, and face to face with God in the cool of the morning. And then we chose sin. God gave us choice. Because to truly love, there must be a choice to truly hate. And to be truly good, you must have a choice to be truly bad. And so God gave us choice, and we chose sin. And sin is the ultimate homewrecker. And so home was broken. But God had a plan before we broke the plan. God knew what he was doing. So the rest of this book is the story of God's plan to call his people home. Right? And God, God makes a covenant with this man named Abraham. And the purpose of that covenant is, is to raise up a chosen people. And God raises up a chosen people known as the Israelites. And over and over and over, God is calling these people back to him. And over and over and over, they sin and, and walk away and break it. And over and over, God says, come home. Come back to me. 
And God creates this system of sacrifices and laws and, and rules so that when they broke something, when they violated law, there was a way to come back home to God. God creates this entire system that's pointing to a greater system. But the purpose is so that these people can come back to God. And God makes his home amongst the people in a little building. Anyone remember what the little building's called? It's my favorite word. Tabernacle. tabernacle right? The tabernacle. And God makes his home with the people in the tabernacle. And, and, then, and then later on, uh, all, all these, you have all these laws and all these prophets. And you have these prophets who come around and they say, hey, listen, guys, you better come back to God. And so they're warning the people all the time. They're saying, you better come home. You better come home. But they're also saying, but don't worry, because there's going to come a day. When God is going to redeem all these things, there's going to be a lion from the tribe of Judah, from the lineage of David, and he will come and make all these wrongs right. But for now, come home. And they wouldn't do it. Failure after failure. And God says, come back, come back. And then in Matthew, we're introduced to a character named Jesus Christ, who's pretty important to the narrative of this particular book. And Jesus Christ says, I am the way home. All the laws and all the prophets and all those things, they were pointing to me. And he says, I've come to bring you a new covenant, one that's better by far. I am your way home. I am the truth. I am the light. I am the only way to the Father. And Jesus says, come home to me. And so the story after that is Jesus redeeming us, Jesus dying on this cross for us, Jesus raising from the dead for us, Jesus doing all these things so that we might come home to God. And then after Jesus resurrects, God says, watch this, now I'm going to make my home in you. And he sends his Holy Spirit to actually live in us so that we don't have to wait till we're in heaven. We can live in thy kingdom right now through the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. The whole story is God's story of bringing us back where we were always designed to be, Eden, in perfection with God, face to face, naked fully known and fully loved, walking with God in the cool of the morning. And that's the story of this book. And it's an amazing story. And it's the truth. And many of us in this room have staked our everything on the fact that this is truth for us. Amen. And the Bible ends with a little book called Revelation. Whew. It's interesting, right? And that's where we're going to spend Christmas, because it's the last of our readings, and so it makes sense that we would do our Christmas series around Revelation. Why not? <laughs> and Revelation is written by this fellow named John, and John is one of Jesus' disciples, and because John won't shut up, he keeps telling people about Jesus. Finally, they're like, you know what, John, go to, go to that island. And so they send him to this island called Patmos, and John is on this island by himself. And while John is on this island by himself, something absolutely incredible happens. Okay, this is after Jesus has died, Jesus has resurrected, the Holy Spirit has come, all those things. And John is on this island by himself, full of the Holy Spirit, refuses to quit talking, and Jesus appears to John in a way that Jesus has never appeared to anyone before. And I want you to hear this, and it says, blessed are those who read it and blessed are those who hear it. So we're all about to receive a blessing. But listen to how Jesus appears to John in Revelation 112. It says this, I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me, and when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands, and among the lampstands was someone like a son of man, 
dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet with a golden sash around his chest. The hair on his head was like white wool, white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars, and coming out of his mouth was a sharp, double-edged sword. His face was like the sun, shining in all its brilliance. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though I was dead. He placed his right hand on me and said, Don't be afraid, I'm the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead, and now look, I'm alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys to death and Hades. Wow. Wow. When I first read that, I went, Okay. If that guy shows up, I'm going to listen. Right? <laughs> And don't get freaked out by all the sevens you're about. It's just, it's just pointing to the perfection of Christ. Every time you hear seven, just go in there. They're saying he's perfect. Seven horns, seven limbs, whatever. They're just saying he's perfect. All right? That's all it means. And so, but Jesus appears, and I love this because it's not, when John turns and hears this voice that's talking to him, it's not six-pound, eight-ounce baby Jesus, which is a Jesus we like, right? We all like the little cute little manger Jesus. It's not a death on the cross Jesus, which we see in lots of churches. You know, Jesus hanging on the cross, dead. You know, he's got his head down, and he's wearing the crown of thorns. You know the, you know the scene I'm talking about. You all have seen that painting, or you've seen that cross. It's not the, the blonde-headed Jesus who's petting the sheep, which is my least favorite painting. You all know that one. This is none of those things, although it's all of those things. This is the Messiah, the Son of God, one with God, the Son of Man who's come to take away the sin of the world. This is power and might. This is everything. And he shows up and he says, this is me. This is me. He says, I'm back, boy, with all my power. And now I'm going to show you something. And John is like, oh, my goodness. And John doesn't go, what's up, homeboy? How are you, man? You're back. John falls to his face like he is dead because he's so overcome by the holiness of the living God standing in front of him. And I love that, man. It just moves me when I read this. Like, Jesus is back. Fullness. Everything. And so they, they, they begin to, to have this conversation. Jesus had, had come back. He was talking to John. And, and, and in Revelation, what we're going to see is the final homecoming. That there's a story beyond the story, and there's a story beyond that story, and it's, it's not done. And there, there's a day when, when Christ is going to make all the things that are broken right again. And like this pain we see in this broken world and this, the, 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 the kids dying before their time and all these things, this will end. Like there will be a final homecoming where God restores everything. But there's something that happens in Revelation, and it's where we're going to camp out for the next few weeks the, the, the groom is calling his bride to live like they're already together. See, there's going to be a day when Christ is the groom in the church. We are the bride. And there will be a celebration and there will be a banquet. And there will be a day when we are fully united in Eden as we were designed to be. A new heaven and a new earth. Everything made right. There will be that day. But between this day and that day, we are to live like we are already home. And we have the power to do that through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so Revelation, what we see in the first few chapters are these letters to these seven churches. And the point of these letters is to call these churches home. I mean, the, the bride is, is, is going to meet with the groom one day, but the bride should be preparing herself for the wedding day. 
It's like we said the other day, we're not waiting for Christ to come back again. We're working to make sure that thy kingdom comes through us. And so God speaks, Jesus speaks through John these letters and says, I want you to write these letters to the seven churches. And each one of these letters corrects some action or attitude. They encourage, but they correct some action or attitude of the church. And so this is where we're going to spend our Christmas series. Because I believe these letters are God's gift to us. Letters to churches. Because guys, I, I, don't, I don't know if you know this, but as a church grows, it changes. And it's easy for even well-intentioned pastors and well-intentioned churches to lose their way in some areas. And so it is healthy and it is right and it is good to open this book, not as a fictional fairy tale, but as a mirror. And look at it and say, God, are, are we right with you in this area? And we are not infallible. I'm certainly not. We're not perfect. We're, we're capable of making bad decisions. We're capable of getting off track, and we're capable of making mistakes. So over the next few weeks, we're going to go through the churches of Revelation, and we're going to see, God, what are you calling us to do here? And by the church, y'all know what this means. It doesn't mean the bricks and mortar. It means you. You are the church. So what, are, what is God calling us to do as individuals, and what is God calling us to do as a collective body so that we might come back home and, by the grace of God, bring some people with us? So we start today in Revelation 2, verse 1, with the church at Ephesus. And it says this, to the angel of the church at Ephesus, write. Let me just pause real quick there. Um, most people don't believe that he's actually talking about an angel like a heavenly being, but that they're actually talking about the person who speaks for that church or maybe the pastor. So I think the first note here is the pastor is basically an angel. Thank you. So let's just, did, did anyone write that down? All right, it goes on to say this. These are the words of him who holds the seven stars, seven, seven, perfect, 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 perfect power, perfect might. These are the words of him, of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not, and you have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name, and you have not grown weary. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you've fallen and repent. Do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and I will remove the lampstand from its place. But you have this in your favor. You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. All right, so, so there's some things to see here. There's some really good things going on at the church at Ephesus. And by the way, the Nicolaitans were a group who were doing some detestable things, and they'd been removed from the church, so understand what that means. Uh, but, but this church was doing some really, really, really good things. He starts by commending the church. As a matter of fact, he says this in verse 2. He says, I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you can't tolerate wicked people, that you've tested those who claim to be apostles but are not. You've found them false. You've persevered. You've endured hardships for my name, and you have not grown weary. All right, he's saying, you guys have done some amazing things. Like you have done some great things. You're at, we've talked about this for like four weeks. Your actions have been incredible. Right? You, you, you got rid of the evil from, from your midst. You, you, you scrubbed it out. You sacrificed. 
And let me tell you something. It was not easy to be a Christian in Ephesus at this time and place. I promise you it is far easier for us to get here than it was for them to get there. Constant persecution, facing death. Uh, I mean, remember they stoned these people to death. Right? And so these people had sacrificed and they had suffered and they were doing some amazing things. And so God looks over and he says, man, you're doing some great things. Your actions, some of your actions are absolutely phenomenal. And the church is going, yeah, 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 yeah. And those things are important and those things are good and those things are right. And they suffered and they sacrificed and they did all the things God calls us to do. But I am so glad we are starting with this church because the next line. If this doesn't just stick in your heart a little bit, then it should. In verse 4, it says this. Yet this I hold against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you've fallen and repent, man. Do the things you used to do. If you do not repent, I will come to you and I will remove the lampstand from its place. Gosh, I read that this week, man. And it just broke my heart a little bit. You picture Jesus having this conversation with you and goes, man, you're doing great things. And I'm so proud of you for that. But you've forgotten where we used to be. You forgot, man. Like you forgot. You forgot what it was like when you were on your hands and knees begging me to save you. You forgot. You forgot what it was like when you didn't have all the things you had and it was all about me. You forgot the nights laying in your bed by yourself begging me to forgive you, begging me to redeem you. He said, man, you forgot. And that's what he says to that church. Maybe that's what he's saying to you. Do you remember why you're doing the things you're doing? It's like, yeah, you're helping the poor, and that's good. But are you doing it because it makes you feel good, because it gives you the warm and fuzzies, or are you doing it because that which you do to the least of my brother you've also done unto me? It's like you sing the songs, that's good. Do you sing the songs because you like the music, or do you sing the songs because you desire above all things to worship the one who set you free? Come home to me. Come home to me. Yeah, you, you, you talk about broken people. Are you willing to sit by them? You talk about all these things. Are you willing to go there? Are you willing to do the things you say you do? Or are you comfortable now because you've got this big building and this big place and all the people? Are we happy now because we've arrived at this place? Or are we willing to never, ever forget how far we've come and what God has done in our lives? And I love what he says. He tells us exactly. He says, first, man, if you've forgotten, like if you have forgotten what God has done for you, and it's easy to do this. It's easy for us to get to a certain place and forget. We even begin to judge the people who are committing the exact same sins we were committing two years ago, right? Oh, I can't believe they're doing that. And God's like, oh, my gosh. Y'all have heard me say this. It's the ex-smoker mentality. I know I've said this a lot. Like, ex-smokers are the worst, and I know because I used to smoke. And, like, the minute we quit smoking, everyone who smokes stinks. Oh, I can't believe you smell like that. Like, you just bummed a cigarette for me yesterday. 
Hadn't smoked in an hour. <laughs> what? The first thing we as a church should do this Christmas is get down on our knees and remember where we came from. You remember who you would be without him. I know what I'm capable of doing apart from my God because I am broken, poor, pitiful, and wretched apart from him. It's just the truth. I know what I'm capable of doing. I know what I've done. And I know what my Christ has done in me. So the first thing we do is we remember. Second thing we do is we repent. To repent is to turn away from that and to come back to him. Repent. And the third thing you do, it's so simple. He says, do what you did when you loved me. Do what you used to do. Like, do what you did. And, 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 and like, counselors tell this to couples all the time. They come in like, we don't love each other anymore. We're having this problem. The counselor says, well, then go back to doing what you did when you were in love. Go back to the dates. Go back to the notes. Go back to the pursuit. Go back to the, you know, whatever. Do what you were doing when you were in love. Do what you were doing when you first realized you loved Christ. When you first gave your life to him, there was nothing you would do. You didn't serve because we begged you to do it. You served because it was the highest honor to be face-to-face with the God who set you free. You didn't give because we begged you to. You did it because you believed that everything you had belonged to him. You didn't love because someone talked you into loving or taught you. You loved because you felt true love. You forgave. You did the things that people do when they realize that God has just given them life. And so we start our journey home by remembering, by repenting, and by going back to doing what we were doing when we first knew him. And I don't know what that looks like for you, but I bet it looks different than what you're doing right now. It does for me. Come home. Come home.